0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Boutosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. This is our stretch season. This is our time where we seek the Lord to strengthen us and to stretch us, to increase us both as a church but also individually and also in your own homes and in your own families and your own destinies. God is always about stretching. He began this thing by stretching. Genesis chapter one was a stretching. Genesis chapter one was an increasing and an advancing because there already was a kingdom in heaven. Amen. There was already a kingdom in heaven, but he sought to extend his heavenly realm to his earthly realm. He sought to extend and to stretch and to go beyond. You know what I have found is most of what you can find, pretty much all of what you can find in the Bible, God has done himself. He is, he's not writing stuff for you and I to do while he just sits back and watches. He says, I'm going before you. I've already created a model of what increase looks like. I've already created a model of what expansion looks like. Taking territory. I believe 2024 is a year we're going to take some territory, amen? Yes, spiritually. That's the easier one to quote. That's the easier one. I'm going to take territory in the spirit. Yeah, we can all say that. I believe he's wanting us to take some territory in the natural, in the realm that we can see, in the geography that we live in. We need to take some territory. And I'm not just talking uh, uh, land, I'm talking in our schools, we need to take some territory back for the kingdom of God. I'm talking in our government, we need to take some territory back for the kingdom of God. In our businesses, we need to take some territory back. In our families, we have given too much to the enemy. We've given too much left over while we seek for heaven, he's been taking over the earth, and this is not the way God designed it. God designed it that I'm going to extend my rule from heaven to earth, and I'm going to place man to rule it, and reign over it, and dominate it, and subdue it and use it for their purpose, which ultimately is God's purpose. So you and I are in, are in positions, whether you like it or not, <laughs> you can abdicate all you want. You can leave it left over. You can leave it off to the side. You can sit in the sidelines and in the grandstands all you want, but you are placed here to dominate, and you are placed here to rule. You are placed here to take over, not be put under. Amen. And Genesis chapter 3 may have altered some things and may have, uh, have set a different course, but Jesus came back to get things back in their rightful place. Somebody say amen. He came back to restore what Genesis 1 and 2 looked like. He came back to give you that authority once again. He came back to give you that position of ruling and reigning once again. He came back to give you an opportunity to subdue and put under the things that you were called to rule over. So we should not be sitting by idly watching the world be handed over to the enemy. Are things going to grow darker? Sure. Are, are things going to, uh, you know, increase in in wickedness and the depravity of mankind? Absolutely. But so should the church. So should the dominating church. In Matthew sixteen, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. That was not written so a church could passively sit by and watch evil unfold. That was continued to. That was for us to continue to show and orchestrate the purposes and the plans of God in the earth. And so we talk about stretching. uh, You know, it's very easy, like we said in the first week, that we can gain that barren mindset. Stretching can kind of go against the, the natural digression of things. We find that, especially through challenging experiences and trials and the issues of life, We find ourselves picking up tent pegs that were once stretched out and bringing them closer. We find ourselves lowering our expectations. We find ourselves living below and living under what God has called us to. And I want us to really accept this idea of stretching. I want us to really buy in to this expansion mindset. I want us to uh, uh, really begin to take this to heart. If you've never put thought to it like this before, I hope that this, that this series and this season is eye-opening, that God is wanting to stretch us once again beyond what we've seen, beyond what we've expected, beyond what we've experienced. We said this, that we cannot lower our expectations down to our experiences. You've experienced tragedy. I know it. We all have. You live in a fallen world. We've experienced the challenges of life, but you have to refuse and reject a barren mindset. You have to refuse and reject because he's calling you out. He's saying you will give birth again, and you'll have more children than you were having before. Don't get accustomed to barrenness. Don't get accustomed to lack Don't get accustomed to decreasing and closing in and withdrawing every time you face opposition or a resistance. Stretch beyond that. This year has been a different year just for myself personally. I won't go into full detail, but we've faced some things and some challenges on a different level this year, uh, uh, both as a ministry and individually. And I have found... Uh, this year, and I'm not boasting myself up. I'm not puffing myself up at all. It had been easy to lay down. It would have been easy to cave in. It would have been easy to, to withdraw. It would have been easy to pick up those tent pegs and bring them in. But I have found myself just saying, just how far can these tent pegs go? How far? Just how far can I stretch this thing out? I mean, why not? Why not? Why not? Why not increase in the face of adversity? Why not stretch out when everything's telling you to withdraw in? Why not just go ahead and and take on the foes that come against you and the resistance that shows up and the opposition that arises? Why not just take that thing head on and say, "What can you do what can man do to me? What can challenge do to me? I serve a too big of a God to start closing in on myself. To start thinking small." And I've just dug my heels in. And it's almost time, it's almost like every time the resistance shows up, I, I pick up that tent peg and I just walk it out a little bit further. I just don't care. I don't mean that in a bad way, I mean, I, I, you just have to refuse it. Am I saying it's easy? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You think I want to be thinking about getting more property? I want to think, I want to think about, I mean, we, we had, uh, you know, the, the storm that just came through here. You know, a lot of us felt the effects of that. And, and we're seeing increase because of that in our own lives, in our own home, literally and figuratively. Would you attest to that? I mean, so much so that half the time I drive past my house because I don't even recognize it anymore. And I think God wants to do that in our lives spiritually. I think God wants to do that. Come on. This is a time of rejoicing. This is a time of being grateful. This is a time of praising and worshiping the king. This is a time of, of not thinking of, of how limited should I be living my life now that all this tragedy has shown up or all these negative experiences have happened? This is a time to go beyond all that, man. Increase beyond it. Because God's doing great things in the earth. And he's assigned you as part of it. You're, you're on the team. I said, you're on the team. You're on the team. And he wants you to play a vital role. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stopped giving thanks. Did I tell y'all where to turn? Ephesians 1? Okay. Ephesians 1, verse 15. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks. This is a season of giving thanks, isn't it? Shouldn't every day be Thanksgiving though? Isn't there just something? You know, you know what I hate? Can I just get on a little soapbox? I hate that the day after Thanksgiving we, is the most consumeristic day of the year. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a spirit or, you know. I, I just hate that, I mean, I worked retail. And I hated having to go into work Thanksgiving night because there were lines of people already beating me there to get 30% off, to get that door buster. I mean, we, don't, we, we couldn't even give a full 24 hours. Any retail people know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know, I just hate that, that, that we immediately turn right around our gratitude is this, and our consumer mindsets start kicking in. Now I remember you know we'd be sitting around watching the football, eating the first go round, the second go around, the third go around, not talking to anybody yet. those leftovers start right take that nap halfway through, wake up, eat some more, and all over the ground, all over the the coffee table all over the kitchen table that'd be here's what here's what's on sale here and here's what's on sale there and and this tv's on sale and you would buy one get one if you're the first thousand people here you know you just i mean we, we just wouldn't even spend a full day in just gratitude and thankfulness and just reminding ourselves before we're already looking at what's the next thing i can get what's the next thing i can add what's the next deal i can find There's just something about gratitude that it needs to be a a daily practice and a daily habit. It cannot be a switch. We turn on and off. Amen. It's a season of thankfulness. He says, enter his courts with thanksgiving. Anybody can leave his courts with thanksgiving. He says, that's how I want you to come in. And our gratitude paves a way for him to move. It's like you're rolling out the red carpet for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. My Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest paves way for the King of glory to make entrance. Sometimes I think that our blessing is more on the side, on the other side of our praying than our praising. I think you'd be surprised at how much praise and worship and gratitude would bring the blessings of God into your life. He says, make the petitions. known." I'm not saying don't pray. I'm not saying don't request. But how much time? But how much time do we spend in praise and thanksgiving compared to the praying and requesting? And let's just be honest, a lot of times our praying and requesting is more in line with the begging and complaining. Amen. Y'all doing okay? The turkey glaze kicking in right now? Let's just be thankful, amen. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart Paul's praying this for the church, and he prayed along these same lines just about every church he wrote to. I pray to God, or verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know. What do you want me to know, Paul? That you would know what is the hope of his calling. What is the wealth, everyone say wealth, of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable, immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working we just sang about the mighty God, the mighty warrior, the mighty king, according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, far above every power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. What I love about this passage, number one, this is what Paul is writing to new believers. He's saying, since I heard of your faith, since I heard of your commitment to the lordship of Christ, since I heard of your entrance into his kingdom, since I heard of your acceptance of who Jesus is and God's plan for your life, since I heard of you accompanying the brethren, since I heard of those initial steps, your love for the saints, your faith in Jesus, since I heard of those things, here's what I'm encouraging. I am hoping that you see who God really is. I'm hoping that you get a glimpse of how big your God is. Look at some of this language again in verse 18. Verse 18 calls it the wealth of his his glorious inheritance. In the saints, the wealth of his glorious inheritance. Wealth. Wealth. I mean, if you, if you call somebody wealthy, if you, whether by looking at them or by knowing more about them, recognize wealth in their life, you're, 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 you're not seeing lack. You're not seeing barely getting by. You're not seeing insufficiency. You're not seeing, uh, you know, not enough to meet the need and having to prioritize what you want. I mean, when you see wealth, you see wealth. You see abundance. You see more than enough. You see above and beyond. You see greater than even what they need, that their needs are far below what they have, living within a means, right? It's, it's, it's on display. He says a wealth of his glorious inheritance verse 19 calls it the immeasurable greatness that simply means cannot be measured so great so much that you can't add it up you can't contain it it cannot be measured it's beyond measuring it's talking about our god it's talking about our king amen his immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. We'll get to that in just a minute. According to, verse 19 continues and says, the mighty working of his strength. Mighty working of his strength. Verse 21 says, far above. Not nipping at the heels, not... Barely enough, far above, listen to the language of these verses, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, every title given. And then he says this, not only in this age, but also the one to come, meaning there has no end. Isn't that what Isaiah prophesied, that a son would be given? And there would be no end to his kingdom. It'd be a forever lasting kingdom forever reigning kingdom so I mean any, any which way you can quantify this any which way you want to count this up the, whether it be you know in you know substance, whether it be in time, whether it be in geography or, or, or how much it covers it, it's far surpassing this is the language describing your God. This is the language describing your king. This is the language that Paul uses, and he says, I pray, now that you have found faith in Jesus, now that I know of your love for the saints, now that I know you've been welcomed into the, into the brethren, now that I know that you've been made part of the body, now that I know you have confessed Jesus as Lord, now that I know you've been brought into his kingdom, this is what I pray you see. This is what I pray you come to know. This is what I pray you become aware of. There must be a connection to how we live our lives, what we expect, what we see, what we believe for, what we know of God that needs to be connected to knowing of his greatness, his goodness, his power, his might, and not just a little bit of it, but all of it. You need to know how mighty he is. You need to know how far surpassing he is. You need to know how above and beyond he is. You need to know the wealth of his glorious riches. You need to know the great, mighty working power toward you who believe. You need to know that it's not just for here and now, but it's also for then and there. It's also for a time that there you can never enter a time, never enter a season, never enter a trial, never enter an issue that is beyond his grasp beyond his power, beyond his goodness. This must be of necessity. The first thing he prays, and this is what he says, he says that you're gonna need to see this and know this by the Spirit. How many of you know that God could never do enough good things for us to finally come to a place where we say, I'll I'll never struggle with worry again, I'll never struggle with anxiety. It's not the things that God does for us that determines our level of worry and anxiety and care for the things of the world. It's your reliance and your trust and your dependence in him. Cause I don't know about you. I come through a trial, seeing God's hand and the next trial that shows up, I'm like, God, where are you? Are you still there? Y'all with me? I'm, I'm not the only one. Every trial seems bigger than the last trial. Every promised land looks bigger than, every battle in front of me looks bigger than the, and now all of a sudden I start justifying and reasoning my worry, my anxiety. No, it's by the Spirit. It's by the Spirit that you come to know a God in His fullness. It's by the Spirit you come to know all of His glory, all of His greatness, the full measure of who He is. Man, what if we lived that way? What if our existence was so in tune with who He really is? Can you picture a life never worrying? about where the next thing's coming from. And I'm not just talking material and and substance. You picture a life where you never have to worry where your validation's gonna come from again. Not relying on man's approval and affirmation. Can you picture a life completely at peace, no fear, Doesn't matter what comes against you. Doesn't matter what people say about you. Doesn't matter what next pandemic shows up. Doesn't matter what they say about the economy. Doesn't matter what they they rule on that can affect you greatly. You're just no fear. Can you imagine that life? Imagine a life where you never worry about a dollar again. Never worry about paying that bill again. Never worry about someone coming to get your car. Never worry. And we picture that life. Because Paul's saying, man, the the only way you're going to grasp this is by the spirit. You need a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And if you can truly live with that wisdom and truly live with that revelation, truly live with that awareness, he's talking about awareness is what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. Just become aware of who he is. Just become aware of all he has. Just become aware of the treasures he has laid up for you. Just become aware of his goodness towards you. Just become become aware of his mighty power working towards you. Just become aware of how great and good he is. It's our awareness. See, when we're talking about stretching, And next week, if you uh, didn't already know, next week is our stretch offering. Next week is a week where we come in one day as a a year-end offering and a year-end gift. We seek by the Holy Spirit. What is that exceeding measure? What is that abundant measure? And I pray that over these several weeks, we've been Uh, uh, building up within you a desire to seek the Holy Spirit as to how would you have me participate? How would you have me connect with the vision of Anchor Faith Church? And how would you have me give and sow toward that? And then it's a day of generosity. It's a day of going above and beyond just the tithe. For some of us, I'm just gonna be honest, for some of us, and I've had people testify this to me, say, Pastor Mark, the stretch for me was just beginning to tithe. I didn't even have that practice in my life. And I know people today that are tithers and give because they just simply first started out and said, it opened my eye that I needed to be giving 10% of my income to the house of God. That was the stretch. The stretch is different for everybody in this room. For some, it'll be great in number. But the greatness begins on the inside the greatness the 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 generosity the measure begins in the heart you have to understand generosity is not something that begins in the hand it begins in the heart your hand connects to what your heart says and according to paul what your heart sees but it all begins with this great awareness of who he is. In Romans chapter eight, Paul writes, you don't have to turn there, but in Romans chapter eight, Paul writes and he says, uh, how can we ever know the depths of God's love, the height of God's love, the width of God's love, the expansiveness of God's love? See, knowing these things, becoming aware of these things is the key, is the source to what we Release what we sow, what we invest. It's very difficult to be generous while being a grumbler and a complainer. See, grumbling and complaining affects the measure of your hand, it's more than just words that you utter, it's a posture. Paul called it, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, Paul called grumbling and complaining a sin of the Israelites in the wilderness. They had a grumbling tongue, they had a complaining mouth, they found any and everything. Why? Because they didn't appreciate, because they didn't know the expansiveness of their God, because they didn't know the goodness of their king. They didn't know the wealth of the glorious riches and the wealth of the glorious inheritance. They didn't recognize the power, the mighty working power that could be ushered. And they were even seeing the demonstrations occur. They were seeing the Red Seas parted. They were seeing the water out of the rock. They were seeing the goodness of the Lord on display. In amazing ways. And yet, it didn't turn their heart because they never gained an awareness of who he was. They never gained an awareness of who he is. They never gained an awareness. And Paul's saying, man, you've got to get this. You can come into the kingdom and still be a grumbler and a complainer. You can be made new from the inside out and still have a a, a greater familiarity with your lack and with your need than you are of God's sustenance and provision towards you. Just know by the spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, you'll see that he has a glorious inheritance. You'll see that he has mighty working power. You'll see that he has seated you far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. You will see that it not only works now, you are not going to be the first exception to the rule. Just go ahead and let you know. You are not going to be the one that engages a a trial and tragedy so great that it's beyond those verses we just read. You're not. Paul even wrote to the Romans, he says, this is what I know, even the things that have happened to me, maybe even in the, negative, in the negative light, God's working all things together for my good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. How can you do that? How can you speak like that, Paul? How can you write a letter to the Philippians from a jail cell and say words like, be anxious for nothing? But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. How can you write that when you're in the lowest of lows? and' not even talking about his, his his personal situation, his physical situation in that moment. But also, he doesn't know how much longer he's going to have to live. At any moment, they could come in and say, Paul, today's your day. will take in your head. And he'd say things like, but the God of peace will keep you. How? It's because he had an awareness. He had awareness of these such things, the wealth of his glorious inheritance. He had an awareness of the immeasurable greatness. He had an awareness of his mighty working power, his strength. He had an awareness that he was seated far above. That's why he could write, what can man do to me? That's why he could write, what can separate me from the love of God? That's why he could write these things. Because he had a a, a perception that altered his perspective. He had a perception that altered his perspective. Everything in life is reduced to a perspective. Everything. Doesn't annoy you sometimes when you get around people that they just find the positive in everything? I, and I tell you, when, when, when you're feeling down, you want to get around people that are feeling down too, that'll contribute to your plight, that will make your grumbling reasonable. Huh? That will make your complaining the sensible response. And you get around those people, and man, they feed it, and y'all just feel so good having your pity party. Come on, we've all been there. I don't want to, I don't want someone, uh, I don't want to hear he works things out for my good. I don't want to hear that. Right? But it's all about perspective. How can two different people facing the same situation, the same situation have two different responses? It's perspective. It's perspective. And Paul's writing and he's saying, man, you've come to the kingdom. You've come into the brethren. You've made Jesus Lord of your life. Now we need to work on your perspective. Now we need to work on what you see. We need to work on how you see it. Because if we frame it wrong, it could rob us of our promised land. I mean, how is it? Twelve spies can go in, ten come with a bad report, two come with a good report. How is it? And if you learn anything from that passage, you see which one the multitude will quickly side with. You see which response is more justified by natural reasoning. You see which one people are more inclined to believe. Amen? You see which one is easier to accept. Why is that? Wrong perspective. It's a perspective issue. People, mankind, human nature, believes the negative much quicker than the positive. And I'm just going to go ahead and let you know right now, in case you didn't already know this, the media has figured that out. The negative headline, 100 to 1, gets more views than the positive. They figured it out. They figured out what gets your attention. They figured out what draws you in. They figured out that telling you that there's giants in the land gets more views than hearing we are well able to overcome. They have found out what you get glued to until you get a perspective. Is this okay? Until you gain a perspective of his goodness. Until you appreciate his majesty. The reason why we don't go there, the reason why we don't run to praise and worship, the reason why we don't run to gratitude and thankfulness, the reason why we don't is because it goes, it's counter cultural. It goes against the grain to believe that he's still good and that he's still God, even in the midst of a trial and tragedy. It makes no sense. And so it hinders our perspective. But he makes it clear to us. Oh, he makes it so clear. Hallelujah. Go with me if you will to Second Corinthians chapter eight. Holy Spirit, we ask that you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Give us this insight. It's the perspective. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, Paul writes, he says, We want you to know. What's he say? He's wanting you to know something. Sounds just like Ephesians chapter 1. Oh, if you could just know. It's a knowing. He said, you don't need another dollar in your account. You don't need that burden removed. If you could just come to know something, it would shift everything. If you would just come into the perspective, into the awareness of something. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia during a severe trial. Everyone say severe trial. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy, their abundant joy. How is that possible? How's that possible? Abundant joy in the midst of a severe trial brought about by affliction. We're not talking about people that have everything going their way. We're not talking about a church that has found a way and tapped into a a way of physical, natural wealth. We're not talking about a church that has found a way to avoid trial. We're, we're, We're not talking about a church that has found a way to coast through life. We're not talking about a church that has. You know what I've found, going back to that barren mindset, if you live in a pattern of withdrawing those tent pegs every time, something will happen in life that will cause you to want to withdraw again and again and again. You'll never be satisfied with the confines that you have built for yourself. You'll never reach a point that says, okay, this is small enough there'll always be pressure that will close those walls in so tight around you. It says, during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty, extreme poverty, not even just poverty, extreme poverty, overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, a wealth of generosity. How is that possible? It's easy to say, man, I've had a rough year. Things aren't going my way. I am excluded from being generous. I'm excluded from this stretching that Pastor Mark, great series, Pastor Mark. I will listen to it when things start going my way. I'll have the podcast ready to load the moment things start turning around in my life. I'll take that stretching stuff serious. But right now, you don't know the plight that I'm in. You don't know the challenge I'm facing. You don't know the the burden that's against me. You don't know everything has, all hell's broken loose. Everything is falling apart around me. You, You don't know. But yet, Paul is writing about a church that in the affliction, in the trial, in the extreme poverty, He's talking about their ability to be generous. I mean, that sentence just really doesn't even make sense. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond. Does that sound like some stretching? That's some stretching now. Oh, I know God is a God of more than enough. Oh, I know that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. That's what we know about God. But he says, they were stretching beyond their ability, even beyond their ability of their own accord they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints and not just as we had hoped instead they gave themselves first to the lord and then to us by god's will do you understand what this verse is saying this is this verse is saying that there was a church in macedonia that had faced extreme trial and extreme poverty, that it affected them in a negative way. Yet they still came to Paul and the elders of the church and said, we must give toward the ongoing efforts and the ongoing work of the ministry. You must provide us a way. Give us this. Do not take away this privilege of investing in the kingdom of God. This is our privilege. This is our opportunity. And they didn't go to Paul and say, uh, hey, it, it, it almost sounds like Paul was like content with saying, hey, we're, we're not gonna bother that church. They've been through some stuff, man. If they, they faced some challenges this year, man, just, just leave them alone. If they wanna give something great, but I'm not even gonna... I'm not even going to ask of them. And so they're in turn coming to Paul saying, hey, hey, wait a minute. You didn't take up an offering. You didn't give us us an opportunity to sow. You didn't give us an opportunity. I mean, talk about a heart to give. Talk about a heart that says, I will not miss my opportunity of increase. I will not miss my opportunity to stretch. I will not miss in my plight, my situation, my tragedy, my turmoil, my affliction, my extreme poverty is not going to. I'm going to scrounge something up. I'm going to find some way to be a blessing to someone else. (laughs) Now, don't get in your head that they wrote some large checks. Don't get in your head that this is somehow tied to some astronomical, numerical amount. Because that's not the way generosity works. Let me show you how generosity works. You've got multitudes of Pharisees and religious leaders that are dropping in large sums of money, and Jesus is standing by the money bucket watching. Now, how would you like that? If I went back there and stood right by that black box on the door and looked at every, okay, All right. Well, you don't have to worry about me looking at it because Jesus sees it. But a lady, an old widow woman, drops two coins in. And he sees the what? The generosity of her heart. Because everyone else gave out of their expansive wealth, she gave all that she had. People don't like it when money's brought up in church, but yet it's one of the most talked about subjects in the Bible. People don't like it when people talk about wealth and and, 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 and having things and giving and sowing. Well, we're, we're, we don't have a problem with the with the world having it. And the Bible actually says that the wealth of the wicked has actually been laid up for you. And you're so upset with the church having it that the world is enjoying all of your wealth. We went on vacation uh, this summer. We went on a, a cruise to the Bahamas and we were riding down this boat ride from the uh, boat, from the, the cruise ship to a private island that we were hanging out at for the day. And as we're going by, they're going house, 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 house and telling us whose houses they belong to. Tiger Woods got a house there. Uh, I'm getting there. Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan was home. Apparently they said he actually happens to be here right now. He's in there somewhere right now. Well, it's so big. You wouldn't have know it. Couldn't find him. Massive homes backed up right in the Bahamas. And you know, that's not their main home. That's a second, third or fourth home. Then we get to, uh, as we're cruising down, flying by these houses, You see that White House and the green one next to it? Yes, sir. Those are Oprah's. She's got two of them next door to each other. About the whole block. And they don't think anything of it. But yeah, we get in the church and we talk about misers and we talk about keeping small and and, and look, can can these things lord over us? Absolutely. Can they become idols? You better believe it. And for a lot of people, it does because Jesus even said, you're either serving God or money. Money is so controlling and so dominating in our lives. It will take the place of God. Pastor Earl has his whole series on Uh, finance and wealth and money and generosity and being a giver and and obtaining wealth. And, 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 you know, we, we talk about millionaires, we talk about billionaires, we talk about trillionaires, whatever, however high it gets. He says you're greater than all of those because you are a dominionaire, meaning that the whole world belongs to you. Why limit it to millions or billions when all of it belongs to you? The earth was created for your benefit and every resource that you need belongs to you. And he has this whole bit on money might be your God if, oh, and it's good. He just goes on down. And by the end of it, you're like, forget about just stepping on toes. Like you've just crushed my entire you just ran a full bulldozer up in here because it'll identify stuff. I just give you one. Money might be your God if you wake up to the alarm on Monday, but you didn't wake up to the alarm on Sunday. Huh? You tolerate poor behavior at work for a paycheck, but you won't tolerate poor behavior in the church. I mean, there's people go to work every day with people that have the same issues or worse than the ones that they confronted in church, but they had one poor experience in church and they stopped going altogether. Well, you work with them. You just won't go to church with them because at work I get paid. I got to show up. I got to make that dollar. Well, it might tell you who your God is. Amen. Amen. But this group right here, they said, money ain't rolling us. In severe trial, in severe persecution, it says, and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. This is in the Bible. We did not make this up. Preachers in the 80s and 90s did not make this up. Televangelists selling you holy water from Israel if you send in a love offering of $5,000 or more did not write this. This is in your Bible. This is an actual church. It said, man, we've got need. And man, we've faced some horrible stuff this year. And man, this hasn't, ha- hasn't been the most bountiful and the most fruitful But you will not limit our opportunity to give. He said that they can he can testify that they gave according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, meaning they weren't obliged, they weren't giving out of obligation, they weren't giving out of compulsion. They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, By means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. Now he's talking to the church of Corinth. He used the church of Macedonia to say, let me tell you what this church did and how they met a need. Now I'm challenging you. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. And in this matter, I am giving advice because it is profitable for you who began last year, not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Meaning you had good intentions last year. You told us last year of your intentions. Now also finish the task. So that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable. How many of you noticed that, that our intentions a lot of times outweigh our actions? We started with good intentions, but did we follow through with the right actions? Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 started out with good intentions, but it was the failure of their actions matching their intentions that got them in trouble. Now, I'm not telling you you're going to fall out dead, obviously. People struggle with that passage. People struggle, especially since it's tied to money. It shows you the severity that God places not on the finance, but on the heart that when you say, I'm going to, or when you commit yourself to something in your heart and in your spirit, there needs to be the follow through. There needs to be the action accompanying and associated with the intention. It doesn't do any good to just just mask our actions with our intentions. So he says, "If if the eagerness is there, The gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much and the person who had little did not have too little. And this is what happens is many times we place more weight on what we would do if we had something than what we do with what we actually have. We place more weight, we think greater of, well, if I had that. Many of us have already spent millions we've never had. I do it every time I drive by that lottery sign. And man, when it gets up there to where it doesn't even change numbers anymore, the 999, it's in the billions. I mean, you just start jumbling around in your mind. Oh, what would I do if I had that? I've had so many people over the years. I'm sure most pastors do. Pastor, if I won the lottery. But you know what I have found? I'm not gonna say every time, not every time. But a lot of times, it's by people that aren't even doing with something with what they already have to begin with. And so our intentions outweigh our actions, and what I attend, what I intend to do with something I don't have outweighs what I'm actually doing with what I do have. And what is he saying? He's saying, man, it just starts with what you got because this church over here, when they had nothing, they were in the red, they were underneath and they still came to us and said, we've got to find a way. Do not take away from us the privilege of giving. So which is greater? To say I would with something I don't have or to do little With what I do have, obviously, it's to start where you're at. It's to start where you're at. It's to start where you're at. It's where the intentions meet the actions. It's where the actions meet the intentions. That the intentions of our heart are greatly outweighing the actions of our hand. ensuring that the actions of your hand meet the intentions of your heart and again this is not a numerical number. I believe that most of us if we if we had that kind of wealth that that we would be generous in that aspect but what we're missing in that is the understanding that generosity begins right where I'm At generosity starts in the hand, not the starts in the heart, not the hand. I said generosity starts in the heart, not the hand. And a generous heart is born out of a perspective that sees God in all of His might, in all of His glorious riches, in all of His power one that is far above, one that is not just who he is now, but he will be then. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's this perspective. He's talking about a church that had this perspective. He prayed this same prayer for this church that he prayed for all the other churches. It's a pattern that Paul shows. I pray that God would grant to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, in the knowledge of him, and it's the church that gets that glimpse that says, you will not limit me. You will not remove my opportunity to stretch. You will not remove my opportunity to give. You will not remove my opportunity to be generous. This is not a ploy. This is not a tactic. This is not some strategy that pastors use to get money to come in. At the end of the day, God will provide This is your opportunity to participate. This is your opportunity to be involved. This is your opportunity to come out of the stands as a spectator and get involved and get in the team and get on the ground and become a team player. We all contribute. Many of you have been contributing all year long. Many of you, uh, uh, you have broken up your stretch giving throughout every month you're giving and you're sowing to our vision giving and seeing the, 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 the finance come in, the resource come in necessary to expand and to increase because God has given us a great vision. But at the end of the day, it's gotta be with a heart that is passionate to say, where, where can I play my part? You know what I love about generosity is everybody can do it. Everybody can do it. Generosity doesn't, it's not tied to a certain annual income. It's not tied to a, a certain level of, of debt to income ratio. Generosity is not tied to a credit score. Generosity is not tied to, uh, you know, what your living expenses look like. Generosity is not tied to how many kids you have. Generosity is not tied to the season of life. Generosity is not tied to, well, I took a loss this year. We didn't do as well as we intended. This passage shows us generosity is tied to your heart. And even in adverse circumstances, even in adverse situations, I can still look to God and say, because of your great glory, because of your wealth, because of your riches toward me, because of your mighty working power, because of your ability to show up in my life, because of who you are and how great you are, I can empty myself to you. Worship team, if you come, I can empty myself In generosity, I can empty myself. I can lay it all out. If it's the two coins, it's the two coins. Next week is an opportunity to give generously. Next week is an opportunity to give beyond capacity. To steward well what the Lord has placed in our hands. To steward well what the Lord has called us to do. Matthew chapter six, verse 33. If you'd put that up on the screen for me, please. We know what it says. But seek first. Seek first, but seek first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's the next phrase. So we've gotten this verse. Out of priority. So we allow the next sentence to be the first sentence. If all these things would be added, then I can seek first the kingdom. He says, No, if you seek me, all the things will be added. The church in Macedonia said, We're going to seek first the kingdom. So we're going to seek first, provision in the house. We're going to seek first. Just every head bowed, every eye closed in this moment. Just stay right there, guys. Right there. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Allow the Holy Spirit. No one moving. Allow the Holy Spirit. He'll show you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. Seek first. First, let him show you how mighty he is. Your God doesn't lack for anything. God is not an insufficient God. He knows every need you have. He knows how to meet it. I want to speak to those just for a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you can relate to that church in Macedonia say, man, this year it's come with some struggle. It's come with that adversity. And that barren mindset that you talked about three weeks ago, it's it's tried to come on me. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at, that barren mindset? Just keep your hand raised, if you would. Keep your hand raised. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want us to just speak to those just for a moment. He wants to heal that. He wants to heal that. Keep those hands raised. He wants to heal that. The enemy has worked to conform your mindset to his image. The Lord's saying, renew your mind today. Because I have a spirit of provision for you. It's greater than any lack you've ever experienced. The barrenness will not be your way of life. The Lord says, I am not a Lord that withdraws. The Lord says, I am not a God that keeps you restricted and restrained. I am the God of plenty, he says. I am the God of more than enough. So look to me. Seek me with your whole heart. I will fill every void that's been left. I'll bring the supply. I'll bring the supply. I'll answer the hurt. I will heal the pain, says the Lord. Seek first my kingdom. Give your priorities to me, and I will see to it. You will be overwhelmed, overflowing. More than enough will be your new name. Abundance and provision will go before you. You will not lack. You will not be denied. Seek me. Surrender to me. And watch me provide. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, if you receive that, just lift your hands and thank Him. Just lift your hands and thank Him. See His goodness. See His goodness. See him for who he is. He's not left you. He's not forsaken you. Come on, if you can, just offer up praise and thanksgiving. Just offer up a praise and thanksgiving. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Oh, because he heals. Because he restores. Well, he's wanted to minister to you this morning. Holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty. Come on, He's too big. He's too great. He's brought you out. He's done it before. He'll do it again. How great is our God! How great is our God, how great is our God, the wealth of his riches, the wealth of his riches, the wealth of his riches toward those who believe, the wealth, his glorious inheritance in the saints, his mighty working power, come on, he wants you to get a glimpse today, I pray just as Paul prayed that you would have spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him. But you're gonna have to let go, to let go of that barrenness. Don't let it hold you another day. Don't let it keep you another moment. We say how great is our God. How great is our God, your everlasting kingdom, it knows no end, your power, it knows no bounds. Let's offer up a song. A song of thanksgiving. Come on, this is where healing comes from. This is where healing comes from. Barren, no more. Delayed, no more. Broken, no more. That's not your name. That's not who you are. The God of more than enough, the God of exceedingly abundant, the God, the God who is the provider, the God who is the healer, the God who is the sustainer. Hallelujah. We receive it, Father. We receive it, Father. Father, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for your provision. Father, I thank you. Just as the Church of the of Macedonia was such a great example. That no no external circumstance dictates our internal response. But our hearts are ready. Our hearts are yielded. Our hearts are surrendered to seek first your kingdom. And all the things that are necessary will come running us down. Father, I thank you that we have a heart of generosity. A heart to see a need and meet a need. A heart that even in the midst of extreme poverty, severe affliction, we can still look inward and say, what would you have me give? What would you have me do? How would you have me participate? We'll be obedient. we we'll be faithful stewards. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen 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 you can be seated hallelujah it's that simple guys the holy spirit wants to introduce you to the god of more than enough he wants to introduce you to the god that knows no lack wants to introduce you to the one that is wealthy god invented wealth management i said god invented wealth management amen amen Hallelujah. Well, we do want to receive, give you an opportunity to give this morning your tithe, your offering. If you are giving today, you'll find an offering envelope in the seat back pocket right in front of you. Of course, you can give online as well as texting your gift. Those instructions are on the screen behind me if you're giving in service today by cash or by check. On your way out, you can drop it in the black box near the double doors. We can receive it that way. Let's go ahead and pray over our tithe and offering again. Next week is our stretch Sunday, our stretch offering. So just as we did just now, seek the Lord this week. Ask the Lord, how would you have me participate? How would you have me stretch beyond? How would you have me go above and beyond this year? And uh, next week we will give you that opportunity to do that I will also say this in preparation if you are uh, and and I would say this uh, I, I know many of us I myself I give online or I will text my gift I write very few checks these days but next week is a different week you can give online you can text your gift and you just use the word stretch Uh, You'll see it in the drop-down menu. If you're texting, you can just type the amount and type the word stretch. But I just think that there is something about the act of coming forward and bringing, especially such an honorable moment. So dust off the checkbook. Go pull it out of the junk drawer, wherever it is, and bring your stretch offering if you can. You can give online, like I said, but there's just something and we're going to receive it next week. We've got special envelopes uh, that we'll have out next week for you to give and and to use for that giving. There's just something about that moment of giving and we're going to consecrate that moment next week. So just to make you aware of that as you're preparing for next week. Father, we thank you that we can be givers. It's in our nature because you first gave to us our new nature, our new man. It desires to seek first the kingdom of God. Fathers, we bring our tithe and offering today. Thank you that you see every obedient heart, every faithful hand. Father, I thank you that our actions align with our intentions. That we seek first the kingdom, even in our finances. As we steward that, Well, steward it faithfully, you'll bring the increase that's necessary. Bring the provision for the vision. We believe this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes.